Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-7. What is the New Testament or New Covenant that Yeshua was introducing when he said, this is the New Covenant in my blood? Was it in fact something new? Or was it simply a renewal of the Torah, the Law of Moses? This is the podcast of Ancient Roads. Real Israel Talk Radio. Take me home. Join us for the next hour as we explore and discover insights into the ancient Jewish and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. Now, here's our host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to another episode of Ancient Roads. Real Israel Talk Radio. I am Jewish by birth. Now, years ago, when I first began my journey into learning about Jesus and absorbing all the tenets of Christianity, I was taught that the Old Testament was no longer necessary because apparently it was, in fact, an Old Testament now replaced with a teaching called the New Testament. So I began digging deep into my New Testament studies years ago. And, you know, I kept running into a lot of theological questions about Yeshua and Paul that for me, it had no clear answers at the time. So it slowly started me on a different journey into what is commonly called Messianic Judaism. And that led me into a lifestyle of doing the Torah, doing and performing all the requirements of the Mosaic Law. So shortly thereafter, I began calling Jesus by the Hebrew name Yeshua, which caused me to perceive him in a a pretty major way that was a lot different than the way I had been doing it in the uh, tenets of Christianity. I began pursuing Jesus in a, a more Hebraic way, especially calling him Yeshua, and I found myself deeply perplexed. I specifically needed an answer as to how to understand the New Testament as Yeshua had defined it. And uh, we can find that in Matthew 26, 28. He said in that particular passage, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Reading this, I asked myself the question, What is this new covenant that Yeshua had introduced? Why would he speak such words when undoubtedly the Mosaic Law and the Old Testament, as the Christian world would often refer to it, why it was somehow annulled? Was the Hebrew Scripture referred to as the Old Testament? Was it annulled? Was it taken away in Jesus or in Yeshua? As a Jew who was becoming more attracted to the religious practices of Judaism, or what are called the mitzvot of Judaism, 
This is what I was thinking at the time. And uh, the New Testament was becoming a bit more problematic for me. And certainly all of the words of Paul, they were even getting more difficult. To solve the quandary of my difficulties, I simply began calling the New Testament or New Covenant by a more distinctive and expressive term. And I would call it the renewed covenant, reasoning within myself that there could not be a New Testament. There shouldn't be. And that what I read as the, quote, New Testament was merely a freshened up kind of mosaic law, you know, a body of divine instruction that the nation of Israel had already broken and invalidated basically since its beginning at the mountain. Remember, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, the people said, Na se venishma, in Hebrew, na se venishma, which means we will do and we will hear. That was when in Exodus um, chapter 23, verse 7, Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that Jehovah has said, we will do and we will be obedient or we will hear. So then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant, which Jehovah has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then there's another passage that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verses 14 and 15, which is found in the English versions, and it reads like this, I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here today with us before Jehovah, our Elohim, or our God, as well as with him who was not here with us today. And we all know this passage, especially in the, the Jewish learning centers, we understand that this is really an important statement. And so as we look at these ideas, I came more to the understanding through my reasoning that the New Testament could not possibly be about the abrogation of the Old Testament law, which was to be replaced by New Testament grace. And in fact, even in the New Testament, I would read statements like Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. At that place, Yeshua said, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, or in Greek, to fill up to the full. For assuredly, I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, in Hebrew it would probably be not one yud or tag, tag, T-A-G, will by no means pass away from the law until all is filled up to the full. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, well, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
And then in verse 20, he went on to say that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So I looked at all of these passages and it just became ever more clear to me over and over again that there could not possibly be a new testament or a new covenant. That's what I came to in my understanding. So as I would read through these passages, I could see very clearly that there was some kind of a contradiction because the law of Moses, you know, it says very clearly in many places, you better do these laws and you better keep these laws and you better obey them because these are the laws of the nation of Israel. This Torah is forever. And Yeshua would seem to support those ideas when he was teaching and speaking about them. And yet we get into passages that were from Paul who would seem to contradict these things. And I tell you, I was just really very confused. I didn't understand how all that could possibly be the way it was as we were reading it. And in fact, I would not even allow myself to commit any kind of theological or cultural suicide in saying that New Testament grace had replaced Old Testament law. Flat out, it just could not be. So confirming this, that basic Judaism maintains what is called our 13 articles or principles of faith. And it was uh, compiled by a Jewish medical doctor and philosopher of the 1100s. He goes by the acronym Rambam. Rambam. And the name of that person was Moshe ben Maimon. Moshe ben Maimon, or simply Maimonides. And particularly what caught my attention was Maimonides' ninth article of the Jewish faith. Rambam's ninth article of the Jewish faith. Basically saying that I believe with perfect faith that this Torah will not be changed and that there will never be another Torah given by God. So, given this principle of Judaism, or the Jewish faith, I once again ask myself the questions, so what is this New Testament then? What is this new covenant that Yeshua was introducing from Jeremiah chapter 31, 31? So let's read Jeremiah 31, 31 to get an idea. Behold, the days are coming, says Jehovah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Here in the Hebrew, new covenant is Brit Chadashah, Brit Chadashah. And then Jeremiah 31, 32 continues that this new covenant is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a master or a husband to them, says Jehovah. Then verse 33 continues. 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Jehovah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Jehovah. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says Jehovah. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So here is an image, a picture of the New Covenant or the New Testament, as we would understand it from Jeremiah's prophecy. So again, looking at all of these words, I knew they had to be defined according to the biblical narratives, according to the biblical teachings that were there, the theology. I had to get the definitions right, because without proper definitions, how are we ever going to understand what this new covenant is all about? Well... I went ahead and did a deep study on it, and I prayed, and I said, okay, there's got to be an answer to this whole thing. And I believe I did find the answer, and I was satisfied with what I found, and that's what I'm sharing with you here in this uh, couple of series of podcasts dealing with the New Covenant or the New Testament. You know, I had been walking in this uh, in this hebraic life this torah life for for quite some time and uh, really it was only in about uh, 2017 when i came to an understanding of some of these things and and then it it just uh, it it changed my entire outlook and how i was looking at things So let's get into this now, and uh, I want to show you what I believe is going on in this New Covenant or New Testament, okay? The first thing we need to do is address this issue of the term chadash, chadash, which in Hebrew is spelled chet, dalet, and shin, chet, dalet, shin. Now, the chet, dalet, shin is uh, a Hebrew word that we get the word renewed from the, the term. But we also can get the word new from the term. Really, it depends on the context from which we're reading. So with new or renewed, either word will fit just perfectly with this word chadash. So this three-letter root, chet dalad shin, can in fact mean something new and or something renewed. Now, as many people who read Hebrew will know, the Hebrew language is comprised of vowels and consonants, but the consonants are the ones that we're reading about in the Hebrew language. So applying some of the vowel pointings that are available in the Hebrew language We're going to get these words from the three-letter root, chadash, or chetalet shin. The vowels applied to that three-letter root are going to produce words such as something new and fresh. We have words like lechadash, which 
means to innovate, as if to introduce something novel, to invent something. There's also an idea, chidush, chidush. That's a flash of insight, you know, a fresh understanding of something, basically as it's used in Hebrew today. We also will get chadashah, chadashah. And that's a newly married woman, or essentially a woman who is uh, fresh and new, or something that could be fresh and new. And for that, you could look at Deuteronomy 24, 5. When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home for one year and bring happiness to his wife, whom he has taken. So, this is clearly the idea of someone new, a new woman, a wife. And uh, that is the idea when you put the vowels to the consonants, chet, dalet, and sheen. Let's look at something that could be more uh, along the lines of renewed, or restored, or revived. Chadesh. That's something renewed, restored, and renovated. For that, you could see Psalm 51, verse 10. There's also Chodesh, Chodesh. And that means to simply restore or revive what is already in existence. And this is often applied to the idea of the new moon. You get a new moon after it goes through its cycles. So that's the idea of Chodesh. And uh, you can see that in 1 Samuel 20, verse 5. 1 Samuel 20, verse 5. Then there's also Chadash. Chadash. You can hear the vowel changes that are connected to these consonants. So Chadash would be something new, something fresh, something newly refurbished. And for that, you could look at um, Psalm 96.1 or Deuteronomy 22.8. Let's take a look at those for a moment. Oh, sing to Yehovah a new song. Sing to Yehovah all the earth. Well, what kind of new is this? Is this something renewed or restored, revived perhaps, or is it something that's uh, brand new as though it's never been done. It's all based on the context. Well, how about again, Deuteronomy 22.8. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it, referring to the roof. So these ideas would clearly represent something that might be new and fresh. New and fresh. Well, they could also be something renewed or restored or renovated. Again, you're dealing with context. So the meanings, new or renewed, are totally dependent on the local scriptural context when interpreting the biblical texts and the narratives. So regardless, I, I think that King Solomon said it best you know, when he spoke about something new versus something renewed. 
And we can read that together from Kohelet or Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 9 through 10. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It's already been in ancient times long before us. So again, we have these ideas even as Solomon, King Solomon, had represented them in his, uh, you know, his questioning as he was going about his daily life, trying to understand these ideas of new and renewed. So again, let's go back and look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says Jehovah, when I will make a new covenant, a brit chadashah, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a master, or if you will, a husband to them, says Jehovah. So again, here in Hebrew, the phrase is brit Chadashah, Brit Chadashah. So what exactly is this speaking about? This Brit Chadashah. Is this a set of new laws that have never, ever been in existence before? Is it a body of law renewed and restored from what was previously in existence? Perhaps it's a combination of both. I'm going to come back to these questions shortly, and we're going to look at them. But for now, I want to do a concise analysis of a covenant from the Hebrew term Brit. Okay? That's what I want to do now. So let's look at the term Brit. And this is spelled in Hebrew, Beit, Resh, Yud, Tav. Beit, Resh Yud Tav. Now in Hebrew, Brit, Beit Resh Yud Tav, is linked to the term Bara. Bara. Now, Bara in Genesis 1 1 is not the same term. The Genesis 1 1 term Bara is spelled with the third letter as an Aleph and not as a He. And so this idea of bara with a hay on the end, kind of that breathy hay, that is the word that we're going to be looking at here for the term brit chadashah, because brit derives from the word bara with a hay on the end of it. What I understand from this term, this Hebrew root, Beit Resh Hey, is a concept of relation. It's a relational word or a word dealing with relationships because that's all about breath. 
It's all about breathing and breath and relationships. We do relationships with that idea. So these two Hebrew words, Brit and Bara, Brit and Bara, are about relationships. And relationships are always about choice. They're always about choice or choosing to establish some kind of relationship between A and B. That's the idea. You can't have a relationship if you haven't made a choice to enter into that relationship. So relationships are always, always dealing with our personal choosing or our personal decision to make a choice toward a relationship. And in the Hebrew Bible, this makes perfect sense. So we will continue with this idea after we take a quick break, okay? This is Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. We will return for the second half of the program after this short break. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-7. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Join us as we continue to explore and discover insights into the ancient Jewish and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. Once again... He is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to our study as we're continuing to take a look at this idea of the Brit or the Brihadasha, that is the new covenant. This idea of bara with a hay on the end, kind of that breathy hay, that is the word that we're going to be looking at here for the term Brit Hadasha. Because Brit derives from the word bara with a hay on the end of it. And what I understand from this term, this Hebrew root, Beit Resh Hay, is a concept of relation. It's a relational word. So these two Hebrew words, Brit and bara, brit and bara, are about relationships. And relationships are always about choice. They're always about choice or choosing to establish some kind of relationship between A and B. And in the Hebrew Bible, this makes perfect sense. We can look at it in 1 Samuel 17.8. 1 Samuel 17.8. This is the story between the Philistine Goliath, or Goliath, and the army of King Saul. Let's read it together in 1 Samuel 17.8. Then he, Goliath, or Goliath, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel, And he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Then he asks the question, Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? 
And then in the Hebrew text, we have an interesting statement. He says in Hebrew, Bru lechemish, Bru lechemish, which is literally in a command form in Hebrew, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And uh, the word choose here in this Hebrew text is bru, bru. That's beit resh vav, beit resh vav. It's a command form. It's an imperative form. And it's essentially saying we're going to relate to one another on a level of war, on a level of fighting on a level of who's going to be stronger than the other person. That's a relationship word, the word bru. So it's important to understand that this word bru, beit resh vav, in the Hebrew text here, 1 Samuel 17, 8, is linked, directly linked to the Hebrew verb bara. Bara, Beit Resh, hey. It's an imperative action. It's saying, go ahead, choose the guy, bring him down to me, and we are going to relate to one another here on the battlefield. That's why the translators are using the word choose in English, because it's it's a correct idea in a verb. But this verb, bara, it also gives us the noun brit, beit, resh, yud, tav. Yes, it's also the noun. And the noun being brit simply refers to making an arrangement, making an agreement, or making a covenant. So in other words, this whole idea of the Brit is ultimately an agreement, a choice that was made through the imperative verb, giving us a noun to make an arrangement, make an agreement, make a covenant. In other words, it's ultimately an agreement not only, not only between two warriors, but also between two nations. Now, interestingly, there is a second idea that comes out of this action verb bara, beit resh he, giving us the noun brit, beit resh yud tav, representing an agreement or some kind of an arrangement or some kind of covenant. So the additional word that comes out of this is going to be the idea of eating or consuming food unto one's personal health and strength. Now, you might ask the question, what does eating of food have to do with an agreement, an arrangement, or a covenant? Well, we generally interpret health and strength as something physical. However, bara as a word for eating food could also be for emotional and ultimately spiritual health. Now, it is interesting to note that in Scripture, we often see covenants, contracts, and deals being cut or made between two parties 
with the eating of a meal. That is, two parties having table fellowship. And uh, one such example that comes to mind is from Genesis 31:54. That is the story of the covenant or the agreement that was made between Laban or Laban and Yaakov or Jacob. So let's read that here. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice or a slaughter on the mountain, and he called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. He had a meal with his enemy Laban or Laban, and that was for the purpose of sealing a covenant or sealing an agreement. And in ancient biblical days, two parties would always share a meal as a result of that arrangement or agreement that they made between them. And if they could not come to an agreement, then there would simply be no sharing of a meal to seal that arrangement. And you'll actually see this kind of idea even in the world of the Bedouin in modern Israel today, out in the desert regions of Israel today. And you know, even today, even today in everyday business, in our everyday business world, many relational deals are always cut and made over a restaurant lunch or dinner meeting. Well, we still have remnants of all of that ancient biblical idea and that practice of agreeing to a a covenant, an arrangement, an agreement. So getting back to the biblical idea of bara, bara in Israeli Hebrew. If you've been to Israel, you've been out to a restaurant, you've been to a private home, and you sit down to eat a meal... You might hear the table waitress or the table waiter or the host of the home say to you, Labriut. What they're saying is, eat your food to health. Go ahead and may we have an agreement together that what you're going to eat is going to bring you health. That's the idea that they're presenting. It comes from the same root, bait, resh, and hay. So... The Beit Resh He root gives us, again, that idea of a relational expression. So, Labriut is an arrangement. It's an agreement. It's a covenanting towards one's health between two people. One person saying, be healthy as you eat this food. And that is the arrangement between the two of you. Be healthy. It's something that is relational. That's the whole idea. Which, of course, is why the word can be used as the term choice in First Samuel between Goliath and King Saul. So consider some of the many biblical examples of arrangements, agreements, and covenants, and choice, and arrangements, and relationships, all of these ideas as they conclude with the sharing of food or table fellowship. I'll give you a few examples. Genesis 2.16 
Now, this was the first agreement of the Bible when Jehovah made a covenant with the man Adam. He told him about all of the available food that he could eat from in the garden. That was that relationship. And in this, Adam and Jehovah had table fellowship, so to speak. But later, Adam and his woman or wife made a choice to leave the table and dine relationally at another's table instead, producing devastating results. That's what happened. They left the food from the one tree and decided on eating the food of another tree, which we know to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Etzadah Tov Verah. It's mentioned in the scripture there in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Okay, let's look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, and chapter 12, verse 48. Now here, Jehovah offered a relational covenant with the Hebrew nation based on precise acceptance conditions. And this relational covenant was offered to anyone else totally that wished to join in that arrangement. Also based on some very precise acceptance conditions. You can see that in Exodus 12:48. It's about the circumcision and the Passover lamb culminating with the eating of the Passover seder or meal, the slaughter, in the home with the blood of the lamb on the entrance threshold and doorframe of the home. Another example of this bara or Brit idea as it's connected to choosing and relationships. This is in Leviticus, Vayikra 24, 5-7. Here, Jehovah regularly remembers his covenant, his relationship with the 12 families of Jacob through the weekly 12 loaves of bread that are called the bread of the presence. In Hebrew, lechem ha'panim. That's found in his house, in Yah's house. In other words, Yehovah and Israel both are represented as being in agreement or being in covenant at the table of the lechem ha'panim often referred to as the showbread. So it's represented by an agreement, an arrangement, a relationship. Another example is in 2 Samuel 9, 7 through 13. Here, King David honored a relational covenant that he had made with Jonathan, resulting in Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, who was always permitted to eat at the king's table. That was a relational idea between King David and Yonatan's son Mephibosheth, eating at the king's table. Now, if you want to take this into the New Testament or the writings of the New Covenant, we can see ideas that are also right along this same concept. 
John 21, 12 through 13. After Yeshua's resurrection, he established a relational trust between himself and his disciples. In what his disciples heard and what they saw, they all sat down and what did they do? They ate breakfast together, therefore confirming the covenant made between Yehovah and Israel. So they're eating together in a relationship. That's what's going on. That is the idea behind the term Beit Resh He, the idea of a relationship and an idea of eating to your health. Another passage, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, the body of believers, came together to regularly break bread in table fellowship. Again, confirming covenant and relationship and health and choice and all those ideas that derive from that Hebrew root, Beit Reshe, giving us the noun Brit or covenant. Here's another one, Acts 27, 35. Paul spoke to the local community of believers in Ephesus, and afterwards, with his conclusory remarks, what does he do? He sat down to eat a meal with them, to eat food with them. There's the idea of labriut, to your health. They're having a relationship, one with another. 1 Corinthians 10.21 is another reference where Paul spoke to a local community that had been eating with each other all the while remembering the new covenant cup of the master's table. And one final one that we want to look at in Acts chapter 10 verses 9 through 13. Here is Kepha or Peter. And we read, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Kepha, or Peter, went up on the housetop or the rooftop to pray at about the sixth hour. Well, we know that's about lunchtime. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And that's an interesting word in Greek. It's like he went into kind of an ecstasy, kind of a lights are on, but nobody's home kind of thing. And he went out into a dimension that even he didn't completely understand. And there in verse 11, he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air, which we're not going to deal with in this particular podcast. But verse 13 says that a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat, or Rise, Peter, slaughter and eat. And Kepha says, No, no, not so, Master. I have never eaten anything unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time and said, What God or what Elohim has cleansed, you must not 
call common. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, the uh, interpretation is given to us by Kepha, or Peter. He says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew, a Jewish man, and that's according to Jewish oral law, to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God, or Elohim, has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So again, it's all dealing with the aspect of food. And this would be perfectly connected with the Genesis 31, 54 teaching. Genesis 31, 54. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice or slaughter on the mountain between himself and Laban, who was really considered his enemy, the way he, uh, Laban had treated him. And he called his brethren to eat bread, eating with his enemy in order to have a agreement, to have an agreement, to have uh, some kind of an arrangement between the two. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And then the next day, Laban got up and left and went home. So the idea here, connecting this concept with, between Jacob and Laban, and the story in the book of Acts with Peter in Acts 10.28, it's making an arrangement, a relationship, or an agreement, or health between two parties by sitting down and eating, having relational fellowship. So what we learn from all of this is that relationships are designed to keep us healthy on many levels between one person and another person, between a husband and a wife, a friend and a neighbor, a mother and a father. It doesn't matter who it is, what it is. All relationships are designed to keep us healthy, all of us, on many social levels. In other words, we are not meant to be physical or spiritual lone rangers. That is not the way Scripture teaches about relationships. Therefore, the same is true between me and you, or between us and our Master Yehovah. Same idea. Our Creator chose for us to be relational. Our Creator chose for us to be in Brit, in Bara, in the idea of relationship. Yehovah wants us to pursue the health of a relationship. And this is supposed to be achieved through a bond of shalom, a bond of wholeness that is made vertically between Yehovah and man and horizontally between one another. This is why Yehovah said that it is not good that man should be alone. And that is the teaching from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. These examples are all about relationships. The concept of a breach, an agreement, a relationship, 
something that brings health to both parties. That's the sense of bara, which is also an idea of making choices to enter into a relationship between one person and another person, all to our health, emotional and spiritual. That's why the Bible has so many teachings on getting things right between two people, fixing relationships, getting things repaired, because health is so important to Yah, not just on a physical level, but also on an emotional level and certainly on a spiritual level. It's an idea of unity, unity for the purpose of adding strength and health to a relationship, building a relationship on a foundation of strength and health. Perhaps you are familiar with the English expression of what it means to be in a toxic relationship. Have you ever used that term? Relationships, covenants, contracts, agreements, arrangements of all kinds can be damaging to our health if, in fact, they turn toxic. So, we should seek to keep all of our associations healthy through bara. That's choosing good relationships and sharing table fellowship with those that we choose to build relationships with. So now what I want to do is basically to stop here and let's continue with this idea of the relationships and the teachings of the noun brit from Jeremiah 31:31 when Yeshua said, "This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me." We will take a look at this idea on the next podcast. You've been listening to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, www.cominghome.co.il. Yah willing, we'll see you next time for Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio.